It says, why do the heathens rage and the people imagine vain things? The kings of the earth set themselves and rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed saying, let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in desertion. Then shall he speak unto them in his wrath and vex them in his sore displeasure. Yet I have set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree the Lord has said to me. Thou art my son. This day I have begotten thee. Ask me and I will give thee the heathen for thine inheritance and the utmost parts of the earth for thy possession. Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron and thou shalt dash, dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Be wise now, therefore, O ye kings. Be instructed, ye judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry, and ye perish from the way when his wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are all they that put their trust in the Lord. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, your son, Lord, we pray over this moment, over this time together we pray that your mighty will would be done and lord that the words that are spoken lord would be uplifting to our spirits would magnify the son of god and lord that we would fulfill your purpose in all of our lives in christ's name amen praise the lord it's good to be with you today and before i get into the preaching of the word i'd like to say that i'm going to be quoting a lot of uh, different people and uh, some of the quotes may bless you, some of the quotes may offend you, but one of the things that I want you to realize that, you know, my wife said, you're not going to quote him, are you? Yes, well, sure, I'm going to quote him. And one of the things that, that I want you to understand is that when you begin to quote people, that quote can either bless you or it can offend you, it's according to how your belief system is. But don't blame me for someone's quote. If you get offended by their quote, it's them saying it, not me. I'm just speaking what they quoted. And if someone's belief that I begin to reveal to you offends you, it's not me that is attacking them. It's their own belief that I'm revealing. So, and if somebody's quote blesses you, it's not even my quote. I give them the credit for blessing you. Can I have an amen? So we're going to get into some quotes here today, and it's a very heavy word that the Lord has put into my heart. But the first thing that I would like to say is today is an exciting Sunday because this is the weekend that we actually celebrate our 4th of July, which is known as our Independence Day here in America. Can you give the Lord praise for our independence? Can I have an amen? Hallelujah. <laughs> You know, this is one of my favorite holidays because of what it stands for and its liberties and freedom, which uh, we have because of this wonderful day. The, the, the last year I preached on the 56 brave men that was signed the Declaration of Independence and everything that they had to go through and the price that they paid for signing it. I wish I had the time to talk about the framework of our nation and the history of it. And I wish I, feel, I, wish I could get, dig into that a little bit, but I feel like that the Holy Spirit is pulling me to preach to 
you on a topic called America within crisis. And we can all see that America is, America is truly in crisis, isn't it? It doesn't take a rocket scientist to see that if something doesn't change, this nation is not only in trouble, but folks, this nation is in jeopardy of survival. We are in a serious, serious place right now as Americans, and we better take heed of where we're at. We better be alert, and we better be watchful, and we better be understanding of the times that you and I are living in. We can call out all of the horrendous things that is happening right now at this present moment right here in the streets of the good old U.S. of A. From the tearing down of our monuments and our statutes and to push to eradicate and dissolve our history and to rewrite it, there is an attempt to totally wipe out the identity of America and what she was built upon and what she actually stands for. We see theft, murder, crimes, violence, hatred, fighting, looting, destroying a property, lawlessness, lawlessness that has formed a chaotic society in many of our cities across this wonderful nation. We see the push to do away with our police and law enforcement. Can you, would you have ever imagined that we would have lived in a time when people are trying to eradicate and abolish our pre police force? I can't even imagine that. We'll talk about that a little bit later if we can, but this is exactly what Hitler did in order to be able to overcome and to be able to influence Germany. Those that can see into the shadows and that have any kind of spiritual understanding at all can see that the underlying agenda of this world is to push for socialism in America that would soon give way to communism. And while all of our attention is upon these things because they are distractions, we better be questioning how did we get here and how do we overcome this? We're in the battle for our lives. It's not good enough that we see what's going on, folks. The real question is, what do we do about it? Or more importantly, what does God expect us to do about it? It was the prophet Habakkuk that found himself in the same familiar place in Habakkuk chapter one. In Habakkuk chapter one, he starts out in verse two, and this is what Habakkuk says. O Lord, how long shall I cry and thou will not hear? Even cry unto thee of violence and thou will not save. Why dost thou show me iniquity and cause me to behold grievance for spoiling and violence are before me? And there are those that rise up strife and contention. Therefore, the law is slacked and judgment does never go forth for the wicked doth compass about the righteous, therefore wrong judgment proceedeth. Now the first thing that we see in Habakkuk chapter one, that Habakkuk was burdened by the things in which he saw. The Bible says in the burden which Habakkuk the prophet did see. The Bible says that he just looked out and he saw what was going on and it became a burden to him. It was not a spiritual insight, it was just oversight. He could see what was going on. Even sinners today that have no relationship with the Lord whatsoever are saying, ooh, this is getting spooky. It seems like that something's changing. Is this the last days? Because of what they can observe. Because what they can see. Folks, whether you know it or not, there is a transitioning taking place where the, the, real, ish, the, the real covering of the agenda of the enemy has come out of the closet and it's right before our face. Can I have an amen? And here Habakkuk said, I became burdened by what I saw. He said, I saw violence. I saw strife. I saw contention. I saw, I saw 
spoiling and rot and decay. And then he goes on and he says, I saw justice fall within the streets. Habakkuk said, the law is slack and judgment does never go forth. Habakkuk also observed in this passage of scripture that the righteous was being brought up on false allegations and not only was the righteous persecuted, but they were also prosecuted. Now there's a difference between being persecuted and being prosecuted. He said, the wicked does compass about the righteous. He said, that's persecution. He said, therefore wrong judgment proceedeth. Now they're going into judgment, which is prosecution. He said, there's a different law for the wicked than there is for the righteous in the land. He said, for the wicked, judgment never goeth forth, but wrong judgment proceedeth upon the righteous. We're seeing that right here in our very land right now, right up in our own state, right there in St. Louis, Missouri, where Black Lives Matters busted down an iron gate to a gated community and walked in, and the minute they stepped in on that street, it was private property because the city didn't own any of that, and they went right down through the sidewalks threatening people and saying they was going to burn their houses down and, and calling them names and calling them bigots and all this kind of stuff, and one man and woman walked out with guns, and the little lady, I don't know if you've seen the video, she had her little pistol and she was pointing it at them. Another guy had an AR, AR, uh, AR in their hands going to f protect the, their possessions. And when it all settled and done, that the prosecutor of St. Louis is now wanting to prosecute the people with the guns protecting their property other than the trespassers that came in and made threats. It just literally does not make sense. How many of you would have ever believed as Americans we would have come to this place? We cannot even comprehend it. You know what? But Jesus prophesied that this would happen in the last days to his people in Matthew chapter 10 verse 18 when he said, you will stand trial before governors and kings because simply that you are my followers. Just because that you're a believer, you're going to find yourself being persecuted and prosecuted for his name's sake. This is why the psalmist asked the question within our text in verses one through three. Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth, they set themselves. I wish I had time to preach on that word set. They're set like a flint to do this. And the rulers take counsel together. There's planning, plotting, scheming against the Lord and against his anointed. That's you and I. Let us break, they say, themselves from the, let, let us break their bands asunder and cast their cords away from us. Now, what is this scripture actually saying? The writer of our text said that the heathen are out to complete, completely abolish and eradicate any godly influence among them. They are desiring to cast off restraint and have no part of God ruling over their lives. Do you know right now there are over 1,000 anti-faith court cases in America from the court cases such as that they're trying to get to where it's against the law for parents to adopt children that are Christians. Can you imagine that? Simple, that's going to be a legislation soon if something don't change. That if you're a Christian, you cannot adopt children because of the way you believe and they don't want you to teach that child something that would be destructive for their mental health. Isaiah described such people in Isaiah 63 and 19 when he said, we are thine, but thou never bearest rule over them. They were not called by thy name. Now, what does that scripture actually say? The remnant was saying, there's those that are stiff-necked and self-absorbed. They have become so polluted that they have become as though, God, you have never had rule over them. Yet they proclaim, we are thine. And yet we, we 
you're yours, but we don't want you to have rule over us. We want to be called godly. We want to be looked at as a Christian, but we don't want to be governed by any of your laws, and we don't want you to rule or bear over us in our lives. How is that possible? How can a people of God be degraded to the point that they become like a people whom God never had rule over? How can a nation start out so right like we did and end up so wrong? Israel never started out like that, and look where they ended up. And neither have we started out like that. When the colonists arrived on Virginia shore in 1607 at the Chesapeake Bay, the first act of the 120 immigrants was to plant a wooden cross in the ground and pray for God's blessings to be upon that land. Folks, this was the true, real birth of America at Jamestown. William Penn, founder of Pennsylvania, said, if we are not governed by God, we will be ruled by tyrants. John Quincy Adams said, the highest glory of the American Revolution was this. It connected in one unrevocable bond the principles of civil government with the principles of Christianity. Later on in 1821, old John Quincy Adams said again, from the time of the Declaration of Independence, the American people were bound by the laws of God and the laws of the gospel of Jesus Christ, which they all acknowledged as the root of their conduct, the way they should live. And we all came together to obey the word of God. James Madison wrote, we have staked the whole future of American civilization, not upon the power of the government, for from it, but we have staked the future upon the capacity of each and all of us to govern ourselves, to control ourselves, to sustain ourselves according to the Ten Commandments of God. Patrick Henry said it cannot be emphasized too strongly or too oftenly that this great nation was founded not by religionists but by Christians. Not on religion but on the gospel of Jesus Christ. President Thomas Jefferson said, I'm about to preach myself happy. President Thomas Jefferson said in his address at Danbury, he said the First Amendment was created, the First Amendment has created a wall of separation between church and state. But this wall is one directional wall. It keeps the government from running the church, but it sure makes that, it, but it makes sure that Christian principles will always stay in government. It was never the intention of our forefathers to keep the church out of government, but it was their intent by the actual constitution to keep the government out of the church. Can I have an amen? If you believe that, give the Lord praise for that. Amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. In George Washington's farewell address to the nation, this is what he said. He said, do not let anyone claim tribute of American patriotism. That, 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 that if they ever attempt to remove religion from politics. I kind of butchered that. Let me say it again. Do not let anyone claim tribute of American patriotism if they ever attempt to remove religion from politics. I said this in a sermon a few years ago, and I don't think that we can repeat it enough, so I'm going to repeat it again this, this, this year. Our government was patterned after biblical principles. How many knows that? 
the framers of our nation got the idea of three branches of government even from the word of God. We have an executive branch, we have a, leg a, leg we have a legislative branch, and we have a judicial branch. And the way we are to govern is patterned after the very word of God itself. Our forefathers looked to the word of God for the wisdom needed to organize a government that would uphold righteousness. And the reason they done it because they understood Proverbs 14.34. Righteousness exalts a nation, but a sin is a reproach to any people. Look with me what Isaiah 33 and 22 says. For the Lord our judge, for the Lord, Lord our lawgiver, for the Lord our king, it is he who will save us. Notice the parallels between this scripture and the rule of our government today. For the Lord our judge, this speaks of the judicial branch. For the Lord our lawgiver speaks of the legislative branch. For the Lord our king speaks of the executive branch. Hallelujah. It was the desire from the very beginning of our forefathers to covet with one another to form and to build a Christian nation where God's God would rule and reign through the gospel of Jesus Christ our Lord. When the pilgrims came and they landed on Plymouth Rock on the Mayflower, they, as they landed, they joined together in what was called the Mayflower Compact in 1620. And these are the words of their covenant that they made one to another. In the name of God, amen. Having undertaken for the glory of God and for the advancement of the Christian faith, do solemnly and mutually in the presence of God covet and combine ourselves together. They declared that they came here for the glory of God, for the advancement of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In 1643, about 23 years later, as more and more people came into the new land, up in New England, they formed a confederation called the New England Confederation. The New England Confederation was the first written constitution of groups of meeting together in 1643. And the New England Confederation Constitution began like this. Whereas we all came into these parts with one and self-same aim, namely to advance the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ and to enjoy the liberties of the gospel and peace. They were united in a common goal, folks, to worship God in holiness and hold to the gospel of purity that would produce peace and advance the kingdom of God. That's what our country was built upon. That's what our framers intended. That's what this nation is all about. It's about the advancement of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Now, just like you and I, they were not perfect people. They were far from it. But they all acknowledged that God was the supreme ruler over man, and he was the supreme ruler over our government. They sought God for his help, and they built this nation upon faith in him and him alone to be able to sustain it. But then we see that we have a rise of this thing called an antichrist spirit that's tried to rule and to reign over this land and take charge. There is a force that's trying to push God out and eradicate even the Christian from being able to have a voice in order to stop our influence to advance the kingdom of God that was the purpose of these people in the first place. We have a new generation that's lost their faith in return, and in return it has caused them to lose their patriotism. And matter of fact, their attempt is to rewrite America, to abolish our history, and to do away with our constitution. 
They're saying that our Constitution is outdated. It's discriminative, and it's not, irrele- it's not relevant for today, and it's constructed by prejudice, white supremacy. It's getting quiet. It was President Obama that said to the United Nations General Assembly on September the 24th, 2014, concerning the Constitution. This is what he said about the Constitution. On issue after issue, we cannot rely on a rule book talking about the Constitution written for a different century. Think about what he just said. It is also recorded that he said this to reporters concerning the Constitution. The the document is so outdated that it is now becoming a hindrance to the governing of the country. With this in mind, how that President Obama actually viewed the Constitution, listen to what he said in his campaign for president on September the 11th, 2008 at the Service Nation Summit. He said, Washington is broken. My whole campaign has been premised from the start on this idea that we have to fundamentally change how Washington works. Now, even though we all agree to this statement, well, I even agreed to that statement at that time, Yet the question is really is, in what manner and what is your approach on changing it? That was never asked. But then he started, stated how he was going to do it. We should foster a culture in which people's private religious beliefs, including atheists and agnostics, are respected. And this is the kind of culture that I think allows all of us then to believe what we want. That's freedom of conscience. That's what our Constitution guarantees. Sounds good, doesn't it? Sounds right. Sounds correct. Even though we all agree that the Constitution gives the freedom for a person to think what they want to think, and they, and they should be able to live their lives being respected, and they should not be discriminated against because of, of their religious beliefs. I agree with that. Yet the problem comes in his opening statement. He said we should foster a culture. Now, we all know what it means to foster a culture, Yet, on the other hand, the real question is just what kind of changes is to be made in forming that culture, and what do you want that culture to look like? That was never asked. I want to tell you, there are times things that need to be changed, but we need to know how are you going to change them and what kind of changes you're going to bring, and when you get done, what's this thing going to look like? Can I have an amen? To say that we need to foster a new culture means that we say there's something bad wrong with the old culture of America. Then if there's something wrong with the old culture of America, identify what's wrong, make a statement it's what's wrong, and then tell us how you're going to change it and with what you're going to change it. The lid come off of his true agenda when he made this statement. Last time I checked, Congress was created to uphold the values of the Constitution and not the Bible and its biased teachings. Oh, hang on with me. Now, don't get mad at me. Now we see what he wanted to change about the American culture. He did not like that the forefathers were committed to the rule of God and the supremacy of his law, the word of God, to be the only rule of American government. This is what President Obama himself said in his speech 2006 to a liberal Christian group challenged a renewal of change in culture. He said it would be impractical to govern based solely on the word of the Bible, noting that some passages suggest slavery is permissible and the eating of selfish is disgraceful. Which passage of scripture should guide our public policy? Should we go with Leviticus, which suggests slavery is okay and that eating selfish is an abomination? 
Or we could go with Deuteronomy, which suggests stoning your child from abandoning the faith. Or should we just stick to the Sermon on the Mount? Now, that was his statement. Obama, being an articulate spokesman and a brilliant orator, he was. He was clever in his construction of a speech to confuse and to distort and to manipulate the general thought and the senses of the framers of the Constitution. He took the Bible completely out of context and he deliberately distorted the traditional understanding of the Bible to fit his own view and his own distorted theology. His referencing antiquated dietarial codes and passages from the Old Testament that no longer was relevant to the teachings of the New Testament. And he knew that these scriptures were not the intent of the framers of the American Constitution to be the rule of government. It is recorded over and over in our history about the intent of the forefathers that the New Testament would be the only rule of government over the people. It was to be the gospel of Jesus Christ with scriptures such as love your neighbors as yourself. With scripture says do unto others as they do unto you. Can I, uh, do, uh, uh, do unto others as you would have them to do unto you. The golden rule. These are the type of scriptures that was to rule, rule our society. And we could go on and on and give you other New Testament scriptures. But I think we get the understanding of what the forefathers intent was when they formed the constitution. For so now, for the last several years, we have had an aggressive push to change American culture to push away from any rule of God or the answering to a higher being. Obama said this, democracy demands that the religiously motivated translate their concerns into universal rather than religion-specific values. He went on and said, it requires their proposals be subject to argument and amendable to reason. Now, when I read that, I thought, I don't even know what that means. I don't even know what that said. It just sound like a bunch of words to me. Until I read it, and I began to dissect it and see what he said. Do you know what he suggested? He suggested that those of us that's motivated by our faith, by religion, that we should attempt to appeal to a broader segment of the population by not just framing our arguments around religious precepts or the Word of God. He's saying that you should not allow yourself to think based only on what you read from Scripture, but you should take a census from the population and let the population tell you of what you need to think. It's quiet, isn't it? Let's look at the gradual slope that he took us through. First of all, he embraced and fostered the culture of pluralism. You may ask, what is pluralism? Pluralism is a conditioner system which two or more states, groups, principles, Sources of authority coexist alongside of each other. We see this in the first statement when he said, we should foster a culture in which people's private religious beliefs include atheists and agnostics are respected. Now, though we all believe in this statement, we do not agree to the culture that he wanted to foster in order to bring it about. Because when he said that Congress was created to uphold the values of the Constitution and not the Bible and its biased teachings, when he called the teachings of the Bible biased, he revealed that he wanted the other pluralistic viewpoints to be a part of the governing of the government. He did not think that the government should solely be governed by the word of God by itself. As a matter of fact, he called the Bible's teaching as being biased. This means that he thought that the teachings of the Bible to be prejudiced and in favor or against one person or group compared to another. Now we see that he desired to systematically change the way that government was to be run. 
by fostering a culture of pluralism where two or more rules of authority will begin to coexist with each other. He did not want the atheist and agnostic respected only, but he wanted them empowered so that they would be able to not only be respected, but to where they could be governed, where they could govern and where they could have control. Did you hear that? So now America has adapted to what we call a pluralistic society. But then he said, democracy demands that the religiously motivated translate their concerns into universal rather than religious-specific values and be required that their proposals be subject to argument and amenable to reason. Now, let me, let me break this down. The statement took this culture to a whole new level. He now is moving us from a pluralistic society into a society of relativism. Relativism is the doctrine that knowledge, truth, and morality exist in relation to culture, society, or historical context, and they are not absolute. Relativism is the thesis that all points of views are equally valid. Relativism is the belief that there is no absolute truth, only the truths that a particular individual or culture happens to believe in. Now we have become a culture of relativism where whatever we can relate to is identified as truth. Truth then becomes subjective instead of objective. Now truth has been established by personal feelings, taste or opinions, and or by one's perception. So now we have no absolute truth that rules over our society, but now we have a truth that is whatever one believes it to be by the way he feels or by the way he perceives or by the way that he likes, that's what truth is. I believe this is to be true because this is the way I feel. I've even heard people say, Christians, I don't care what the Bible says. This is what I feel. This is what I know. They're going on what truth is by what they like, what they perceive, and by what they think. When I want to tell you, they can think what they want to think. There's only one thing that is true. It is the word of God that is infallible. And let me tell you without a shadow of a doubt that the word of God standeth true and it will always be true. Heaven and earth have passed away. But God's word will not pass away the flower fadeth and I want you to know that the world will pass away but God's word will stand for eternity give the Lord praise we're going back reverting back to the time of judges where everybody does what's right in their own sight this is what American culture has bought into we move from a culture informed by Christian values and absolute truth by the governing of scripture to a pluralistic viewpoint that has become empowered by relativism. And now instead of having an absolute truth to rule, we have fostered a culture that is ruled by what one feels, by what one thinks, by what one likes, or what one perceives. And the problem with relativism is it demands that all viewpoints are equally valid. Here's the problem. Relativism is actually I seen a definition, I thought, wow, that was tucked away there. Doug Small said relativism is culture, absolutism in disguise. Didn't know what he meant until I studied a little longer. This means the only thing that can be accepted by our culture now is what is fostered out of the principles set by political, philosophical, ethical, or theological ideas. Relativism is not truth tethered in love but untruth as truth attached to force. And you say, what are you talking about? Hang on. 
It demands, this relativism demands, that you have to be absolutely open and absolutely uncommitted to one single faith. Hang on. It demands that you be tolerant. Have you heard, how many's heard that word here lately? Tolerant. How many's the word, heard the word intolerant? Raise your hand if you heard the word intolerant. You ain't been watching the news very much. It demands, this new way of culture demands that you be tolerant and accept all viewpoints as to be equally valued and held to a standard of truth. You must be absolutely affirming not only to the other person, the way the Constitution tells us to be, but the new cultural Constitution demands that I not only respect a man for who he is and what he believes, but I have to embrace what he believes as valid and just as true as what I think is valid and true. Listen to me. The culture fosters the idea that you must be so uncommitted to any single ideological faith and moral absolute as to nullify true faith and have no kind of value or standards at all. The culture then fosters the idea, well, his faith is just as good as your faith. His book is just as inspirational and true as your Bible. His God is just as good as your God. Matter of fact, his God is just like your God. He's just got a different name. Here's the problem. We as Christians, faith values that can be set aside are not values to us at all. Anything that we can put aside is not considered a valuable. You don't set aside values of our convictions or standards. You clutch them. You hold to them. You protect them. And you're really, literally ready to die for them. Can I have an amen? We Christians cannot and must not place our Jesus alongside a Muhammad and Buddha and Krishna and any other God and say that they are all equal with him. For they are not equal with him. He is the only true God. He is the almighty God. He is the everlasting father. He is the prince of peace. He is El Shaddai. He is our God and we shall have no other gods before us. Hallelujah. We proclaim that Jesus Christ is Lord. We proclaim that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no man cometh unto the Father but by him. We proclaim that Jesus Christ is King of kings and Lord of lords, and there is none besides him. We proclaim that every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We proclaim that Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God and flesh and blood has not revealed this unto us, but our Father which is in heaven has revealed this unto us. We proclaim that Jesus Christ is the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning, the end, the first and the last. We proclaim that God has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow of things in heaven and things on the earth and things under the earth. We proclaim Jesus being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God. We proclaim that if you'll confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God has raised him 
from the dead that you shall be saved. We proclaim that we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins, who's in the image of the invisible God and the firstborn of every creature. We proclaim that we're not redeemed with corruptible things such as silver and gold, but by the precious blood of Jesus Christ as a lamb without spot and blemish. We proclaim what Jesus said in Revelations 1 and 18, I am he that liveth and is dead, but I'm alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death, hell, and the grave. We proclaim that Jesus Christ is Lord. There is no name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved other than through the name of Jesus. But now, we got a problem. Our culture looks at us as Christian and demands us that we treat all faiths equal and all beliefs valid. Now our culture demands that us Christians take our proposals and subject them to popular senses to where they can be amended so that we can come together in harmony and that they can help us become a people that can be relative to our society. They say that the Bible teachings cannot relate. And I'd have to admit some of them are hard. Hello? It's hard that the last shall be first, but the first shall be last. It's hard that if someone turn, hits you on the right cheek, turn the other also. Come on. It's hard to pray for them that despise you and persecute Come on. There's teachings in the word of God that does not seem to relate. It's where you have to crucify who you are and let the supreme rule rule over you instead of yourself. It's bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Amen? Our culture demands that we yield to a universal translation of truth over our religious convictions and our traditional values. The problem is we can't yield. Amen? I can't cave into that stuff. Therefore, we become intolerant to the universal religion that is all about all of us becoming one and all of us becoming a big happy family. They make you look like the bad guy. You're intolerant. And according to our new culture, our values and traditions that set by stone in scripture have to be mended because they're outdated and they're biased and they're full of prejudices because Christianity is a white man's religion. They believe that it has been built upon white supremacy. And this is why they cannot allow religion to rule in government. I want to tell you it's not been built upon white supremacy. Jesus was a Jew. Hello? He was an olive skin dude. He wasn't white. Oh, I could preach there a while. Amen? Now, then when we do yield or when we do not yield, I should say, because of our condition to the system of this new world order, then we're considered prejudiced, biased, intolerant, and we become bigots. Now, on the basis of that, they want to bring charges upon you for hate crimes. They consider you to be hateful, mean-spirited, and prejudiced, and a mental a mental issue that could cause destruction of mental, it could be a mental health issue 
to where you could cause havoc upon young people. Think about it. This is where we're headed. This world will not be happy till they cast off all religious faith in God. They're wanting to literally rewrite our history. Amen? This is why they're tearing down all of our monuments and our statues of our forefathers. It was Karl Marx that said this, take away a nation's heritage and they're more easily to be persuaded. This is why they're wanting to remove religious symbols such as crosses, Ten Commandments, manger scenes, crucifixions. They're coming after the church. They want to even move crucifixions because it's prejudiced. Come on. Folks, the heathen rage, they imagine a vain thing. The kings of the air set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and his anointing. That's what's coming against us right now. Open your eyes. We're in a showdown between good and evil. Amen? We're in a showdown between what's light and what's dark. And they're saying, let us break their bands asunder and cast their cords. Let us crush them. And let us take their cords where they, the rule of law, that which they govern by. Let them be cut off of us, cast them asunder where we never have no more rule over us. That's what our society is asking for right now. They're wanting to cast off all restraint to any kind of godliness. They're wanting to be free of law, free of government, free to do, believe, and live any way that they want to live. The world is trying to remove God from the earth. When Habakkuk seen all this spoil, the violence, the decay, and the nation, he wept. Why do you show me all this iniquity? Why do you cause me to grieve God? I've prayed. I've cried. You haven't heard me. I've beseeched, but you haven't saved why are you allowing this stuff to happen? Have you ever felt that way? How many of you have been praying over our nation? Sure. And yet, the more we pray, perilous times, dark times, dangerous times just keep accelerating. Things get worse. Everywhere you turn, you think, can I really believe this is happening in my lifetime? Come on. Habakkuk stood without wisdom of what to do. I've been asking God, what do we do? What do you want us to do? What are we to be doing in the light of all of this, God? I don't have time to preach on Psalms too, but it's one of the most cited Psalms in the New Testament. It is connected to the crowning celebration as David is king, but more importantly, it is a messianic, a messianic Psalm fulfilled in Jesus Christ as our Messiah. That's what's so powerful. So this scripture is saying until Jesus comes back, the enemy will plot, scheme, plan, conspire, and war against God and his anointed. When the question was raised, why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? I looked at that and I said, God, what are you saying? This was God saying, why are they imagine a vain thing? And I looked up the word vain there and it means useless. The inability to produce results. Having absolutely no likelihood. God was saying, why are they plotting and planning and scheming to remove me from the earth? It's useless. He said, why are they plotting and planning to drive me out and to destroy my anointed? He said, they can't have no, they can't produce results. He said, that's not likely going to happen. Amen? Why are they trying to attack lordship? He said, why are they wanting to be lord over their own lives to destruction? He said, but listen to how he answers. He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh at them. The Lord shall have them in derision. 
Then shall he speak unto them in his wrath and vex them in his sore displeasure. Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill. <laughs> Verse 7. And I will declare the decree the Lord has said unto me, Thou art my son, and this day have I forgot, begotten thee. And when I begin to ask the Lord, Lord, what are we to do? The Lord said, you can't do nothing. Only I can do it. I said, okay, Lord, then what do you want to do through us? And the Lord says, I want you to understand what I'm doing in these last days. He said, first of all, I want you to know, he said, I have set my son on my holy hill. In other words, that they will not and cannot ever rise to lordship because Christ has sat upon the throne and he's not going to vacate it anytime soon. And he says, the more they push and the, and the more they fight and the more they oppose and the more they come against you, and the more false accusations that they do, I want you to do what verse seven says is what God says. Make a de declaration of the decree that the Lord has said unto me that Jesus is his son and today God has begotten him and set him upon the throne. Oh. It was Martin Luther King Jr. that said, the church must be reminded that it is the conscience of the state and it must be the God of the critic of the state. If the church does not recapture its prophetic zeal, it will become irrelevant, an irrelevant social club without moral or spiritual authority. Now, I gotta quit, man. I gotta get away from all that. I just preach to you? Give me five minutes. And if that ain't good enough, then I'll ask for five more. If that ain't good enough, I'll take ten more. Here's what God's saying. That if we hide, cow down, cave in, we lose our prophetic voice and we lose our moral and spiritual authority. When are we going to believe greater is he that is in us than he that's in the world? When some little, I got to watch it because I don't want to cuss. When I say cuss, just say something out of, out of culture. Call somebody something I shouldn't. When some little, they almost said it comes up to me and begins to start the garbage about universalism and your gospel's outdated and it's a white supremacy. I'm not to sit there and walk away timid 
as if to say, I don't want to really reveal who I am because it'll start a fight and it's going to cause attention to come to me. And if attention comes to me, I'm going to be persecuted and I might even be prosecuted. So I'll just cow down and keep my mouth shut and I'll go over here like a little whimper church and just say, let's just hope that they don't really see who we are because if they see who we are, they may drive up with a big bus and they might start picketing outside my house and they might start throwing stones in my windows and they might start cussing my children and they might start hounding me and they might hurt me and they might harm me. Where is your backbone? Come on, church. God says when they start that sub, be the authority. Stand up and proclaim. I am God and God is mine. I'm the anointed in Christ Jesus and you have no authority over me. I have the dominion of Jesus Christ who is the supreme ruler of the universe. Jesus is Lord. Preach the gospel, declare the gospel. Don't be, don't be cowed down. And when people, if they've got enough guts to tell you their liberal views, you've got to have enough guts to tell them your, your biblical views. They want to get in your face, bring it on. They want to spit in my face, I know how to spit. Amen? They want to stand tall to tall, I'll stand tall to tall with them. Well, you're, you, you, you know, you got to pick your fights. You bet I got to pick your fights. They picked it. Amen? Amen. Come on, when are we going to be Christians? We're going to, if all of us would rise up and begin to proclaim and say enough's enough and stand firm and start boycotting some of these peoples, well, we're funding them. Why in the world do we go around funding the ones that's spending our money to fight against us? Don't make sense. I'm telling you, as much as I love St. Louis Cardinals, if they start giving caving in to the political quit, I quit watching them. NASCAR, they done lost me. Some of these corporations that's bowed down and gave these groups millions of dollars to try to patronize them and keep them off their doorstep, they're a bunch of cowards. I don't have to buy their product. Hollywood that wants to pose me and laugh at me and mock me, I don't have to go watch their shows. You cut their funding off, they'll change the fundamental way they think. Oh man, that's going over like a lead balloon. When are we going to rise up and be smart? And God says, if you'll do what I'm telling you to do, I want to read it to you. Verbatim. We'll skip that. Ask of me, and I will give thee the heathen for thy inheritance and the uttermost parts of the earth to thy possession. When the enemy comes after you, though it may seem real, do you not understand God sits in the heavens and laughs at them? Why are you coming against Kent for? <laughs> That's useless. Think about, oh, I don't mean you don't go through some things. It don't mean that things don't get hard. It don't mean that you have some battle scars. It don't mean that it's pleasant. But the end result is 
God will take care of his own. He's with us. Would you stand with me this morning? This is a passion of mine. I hope I haven't offended anybody, but the truth of the matter is we have a society that's trying to dictate to us how we to believe. It makes me mad to listen to the you listen to a speaker like President Trump speak or Biden speak or whoever, and then nine newscasters is going to tell me what they said. As if I don't have brains enough to figure it out for myself. Amen? They treat us as if we're invalids. And we don't know what we're doing. And then they'll try to frame your mind to think the way they want you to think. It's called brainwashing. Amen? It's odd to me how that President Obama can go right there at the monument that President uh, Trump just preached at and be praised and everything was wonderful. But when he goes, he went and stood before the monuments of the presidents that had slaves. Isn't it weird? Mount Rushmore, I was trying to think of the place. Been there myself. Beautiful place. No one to tear it down. Tear down our heritage. When are we going to say enough's enough? I was sitting in a certain place. I won't tell you where I was at. And a young boy come over and joined us at our table. And we were sitting there. And he didn't know who I was. And he started talking. And he started talking all this liberal junk. I said, well, let me tell you what I feel. And I started talking. And, went, well, and he said, well, I, well I, not ask him questions. He couldn't answer any of them. And before long, he got so nervous, he got up and left. When are we going to start making the enemy uncomfortable? We're not the ones that need to feel uncomfortable. Hello? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not in your own understandings. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he'll direct your path. Be not wise in your own eyes, but fear the Lord and depart from evil. That scripture said, what do we are to do? We are to fear the Lord. Amen. Would you pray a prayer of committal today that you're going to be more aggressive than you've ever been to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ, spread the truth in love, not hatred, in love and understanding, weigh your words out. Don't, don't be offensive in, in your nature of delivery. But folks, somewhere you got to say, I can't wait for 10 years in order to share the gospel with that person. I got to preach the gospel of Jesus. Love your neighbor as yourself. Do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. Father, in the mighty name of Jesus, we thank you for our independence that we have. We thank you for the men and women who fought for this country, who gave their lives, who shed their blood. But mainly of all, we're thankful for Christ who shed his blood for the redemption of sins. For God, our, 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 our spiritual salvation. We pray now, God, that you would move over this congregation set it upon our hearts to be able to speak the word of God in love and in boldness and in authority. Help us not to be ashamed. Help us not to hold back. Help us not to go into hiding, but help us declare the wondrous, glorious Jesus, the Son of the living God. I pray and I ask that all of us get holy boldness and give a reason of the hope that lies within us. That is where we continually have freedom within America, in Jesus' name, amen.
God bless you is my prayer.